HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Weitz, your host. Now, I was just in Florida for a few days, and I do want to point out that I said Florida because I'm from New York, not Florida, which everybody else says, but we New Yorkers are special. We say Florida, right, Jack? Jack's from Long Island, too. Oh. Fire up the mic there, Jack. It's okay. Forget it. He's just nodding. Florida, where oranges come from. Not Florida, where oranges come from. Anyway, I was in Florida for a few days. So I want to talk about fish today. Fish, right? You think Florida, you think sun, fun, surf, fishing. Or really, what I want to talk about is the lack of fish. Or in a place like Florida, specifically the lack of fish in the restaurants, But I'll get to that, because first, I need to start with a few words about Joan Rivers. Now, having just spent four days in a gated senior community in South Florida, where I went to older lady aerobics with my mom, and I shopped at Publix with an X, and listened to endless poolside chatter about decrepit hips and crumbling backs and cancer and hearts, dying, fading hearts, I have to say one thing, and that is that I... Erica Wides, your host, for damn short, will not go gentle into that good night. Okay? Like my recently departed idol, Joan Rivers, I plan to rage, rage against the dying of that light. Thank you, Dylan Thomas. I mean, Joan Rivers was 81 and had just performed stand-up the night before the surgery that ultimately led to her untimely early death. 
81. She had a new book coming out. She has several TV shows on the air. And her YouTube series called In Bed with Joan, which I had been dreaming of being a guest on one day. I hoped one day to be a guest on In Bed with Joan. And it never even occurred to me that she might die. Who like that dies? She never stopped working. And that's what kept her going. And I loved her. And she will be missed. The end. Oh, and just because she had more surgery than Kenny Rogers and more Botox than old trout pout herself, Melanie Griffith, I still loved her. And I am not in any way making a connection today, by the way, on today's important episode about fish and over collagened lips. The trout pout was just commentary. No connection there. I only bring it up because I had to suffer through an episode of the new Hawaii Five O. On TV that my cultured opera and ballet loving mother for some unfathomable reason likes to watch and which added to my general semi-tropical half week of misery in Florida. So anyway, I left Florida on Sunday night, this past Sunday night, in a little depressed under five foot tall heap, a little lump of misery. I downed a 20 ounce beer at the airport and then I ate two whole packs of Biscoff cookies on the plane in a little wallowing puddle of gloom. The airplane-sized packs, not the full-sized packs. Those very same Biscoff cookies, which I actually discussed here last week, which I totally love, but are the model for the cookies as the base of the evil cookie butter, the star and subject of last week's show, which is kind of a weird, funny end-cap irony to the whole week, don't you think? Now, I had been visiting my mom Sorry, in Florida, who's in relatively good shape for her 77 years old, despite a bad bout of osteoarthritis in her back, which is what sent my sister and I down there to visit her in the first place. I mean, she still goes to older lady aerobics four times a week, and she still drives even at night, which is a really big deal in her crowd if you still drive even at night. Not that her driving's so great, but she still drives. It wasn't even really the visit with her that bummed me out so bad. It was just the whole Florida thing that depressed me. Not, you know, the altacockers and their kvetching all over the place and not just the spray foam construction of the gated condo fortresses with pretentious names and no physical or psychic connection to the place where they were built or the endless shuffle loop of shopping plazas and chain restaurants. I mean, it was all that and everything else. Now, I know there are still beautiful places in Florida, wild and undeveloped places and pristine beaches. But those just aren't the places where middle-class Jews from New York and Long Island wind up retiring, it turns out. They don't exactly choose the wild, undeveloped, and pristine. They like the safe, the controlled, the prefab. It was the disconnect, the disconnection from the place itself that really got to me, the the way that the places they were living in had no connection to the places they were built on. That really got to me. There was no sort of organic sense of a gradually evolving place. These were places that just happened. The way these condo fortresses were just kind of plopped down on this land that had once been wild wetlands filled with seagrasses and mangrove swamps or later even filled with cattle ranches and citrus groves. I would have been happy seeing those two as destructive and water-draining as they are. They're not as bad as the condos. But now all of that has been drained and dried up and 
planted with tough, scratchy green grass that you don't want to walk on barefooted and ornamental palm trees and hibiscus bushes and artificial lakes scattered around the Spanish mission style or faux Mediterranean style or tropical British colonial style developments with names like the estates at Fountain Bluffs and the palms at Green Meadows and the Citadel at Majestic Shores. Masterful, poetic, pretentious, meaningless names with no origin and no roots. Or Platina, which is where my mom lives. Yes, Platina. P-L-A-T-I-N-A. Platina. A condo development in Boynton Beach, Florida, named for Bartolomeo Saki, a.k.a. Platina. Oh, come on. You don't know who Platina was? Everybody knows who Platina was. The Italian Renaissance humanist writer and gastronomist? Come on. Really? Where have you been? Well, neither did I. Okay, until we had to start teaching culinary history for, you know, one hour out of the 1,200-odd-hour curriculum that I taught back when I taught at, you know, Culinary School X. I don't say the name anymore. Culinary School X. Like, you can't figure out where I taught for 15 years. We implemented a culinary history module, not even a module, hour into a module of our curriculum. And so I learned about Platina back then when we were being taught culinary history to teach culinary history. And... And I thought, wow, Platina is a major figure in culinary history. And that's so crazy because he's also a real estate developer in South Florida who named a gated condo fortress after himself. What a weird world we live in. Anyway, Platina was an Italian, obviously, born in 1421, like many of my mom's neighbors and friends. (laughs) He worked at the Vatican starting in 1462, and he published what is widely considered to be the first ever printed cookbook. Do you see all these threads coming together suddenly? His close acquaintance with the renowned chef Maestro Martino, which in itself sounds like the name of a restaurant in Boynton Beach, Florida, but isn't. He was a chef in Rome. Seems to have provided inspiration for a theoretical treatise on Italian gastronomy entitled... And excuse my pronunciation of Latin, because I took German as a self-hating Jew. De honesta voluptate et valetudine, or on honorable pleasure and health, which achieved considerable popularity and has the distinction, as I said, of being considered the first printed cookbook. So he was basically like the Rachel Ray of Rome back in the day. Now, Platina's papal employment was abruptly curtailed on the arrival of an anti-humanist pope, Paul II, Pietro Barbo, who had the rebellious Platina locked up during the winter of 1464 to 1465 as a punishment for his remonstrations. I believe he was locked up in a condo community in Boca at the time. In 1468, he was again imprisoned for a further year where he was interrogated under torture following accusations of an alleged pagan conspiracy to assassinate the Pope. Because how dare you even insinuate that human pleasure and gastronomy has anything to do with, you know, the power of being human. And it's not all just God's work. It's a Shanda as they would say down there at Platina. Now, Platina's fortunes were revived by the return to power of the strongly pro-humanist Pope Sixtus IV, 
who in 1475 made him Vatican librarian. Platina has a library, too, come to think of it. All that and free shuffleboard courts, too. Thank you, Wikipedia, for your help in producing this segment. But nobody down there at the real Platina, the place Platina, actually knows that. That Platina himself was who he was. I mean, I didn't, like, go around asking at the pool or anything, but I had told my mom about him years ago, but she forgot that I told her that, kind of in the same way that she forgets how to use the Internet all the time, which is her excuse for not listening to my show. Hmm? But in their own way, those residents of Platina are also gastronomists and masterful recorders of their local version of Onesta Voluptate et Valetudine. Just eavesdrop on a few of the poolside conversations on any given day, and you'll hear brilliant, insightful commentary on food and health and on the local dining scene particularly if you are a fan of dining on the earlier side, which is so unRoman like The white-haired crowd goes shuffling into the local ristorantes and trattoria and osteria at 4.30 in the afternoon and are met, would be met, let's say, in Rome, by waiters and cooks just emerging from their afternoon siestas, barely conscious and a good four hours away from being ready to serve any sort of dinner to them. But ask for an opinion on where to get the best overcooked broiled slab of a nearly extinct fish that comes with a baked potato and a vegetable and a salad for twelve ninety five. A veritable Vatican library of wise and learned scholars will be at your beck and call with an answer at any moment. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Weitz. But I really want to talk about fish today. Remember, this is an episode about fish. Now, we were sitting around the cucina of my mother's condo at Platina the first morning and discussing what we would have for dinner that night. Now, I had cooked dinner the night before just for mom and I because my sister conveniently booked herself on a flight that minimized her actual on-the-ground Florida contact time. So I had a couple extra hours with mom. And I had actually found whole mackerel, whole entire fish mackerel at her local Publix with an X, which is the official supermarket of South Florida, apparently. And when I saw those whole fish in the fish case there at Publix, I almost fell over face first into the case of frozen synthetic crab patties and shrink-wrapped farm tilapia dinners that come complete with baked potato, vegetable, and salad for twelve ninety-five. Whole wild fish and mackerel to boot. My favorite fish right there in Publix 
Nestled into the crushed ice with the farmed salmon and the aforementioned tilapia, the rusty-looking dried-out tuna from the Philippines, the sad clams gasping for the cooler waters of the northern Atlantic, the pre-made faux crab stuffed flounder fillets right out of a classy wedding from 1982. I know, I know. I'm a snob and an elitist, but that's why you listen to me, right? Of course. Whole effing Atlantic mackerel. Not exactly pristinely fresh looking, but I'll take it. So I bought one and I grilled it on mom's Teflon grill pan on her electric stovetop. Mm-hmm. I made onion jam and roasted sweet potatoes and we were happy. Well, I was happy, which is, you know, more important. But the next morning, upon arrival of my sister, we discussed dinner. Now, I know that the food scene in the U.S. has exploded in the last decade. And thanks to places like Culinary School X, my former employer, there are tens of thousands of new young cooks out there opening fresh, innovative restaurants all over the country and celebrating the locally available bounty of their home regions. But not in Boynton Beach, Florida. Or at least none that... I could find every place I viewed online was a chain or a steakhouse or an old school baked potato, vegetable and salad kind of place. Not that I mind those places, but they're not exactly interested in local or seasonal or sustainable. So my sister said naively, well, we're in Florida. How about we go someplace by the water where we can just get some good fish? I just looked at her and I said, fish? There is no more fish. We ate it all, at least all our local fish, which isn't exactly true, as mentioned before about the mackerel. But having grown up in a small Long Island fishing town where if we didn't catch it ourselves, we could just buy it right off of someone else's boat. I think she needed to update her perceptions. So I said, I don't think it's like that anymore, Jude. That's her name, Judith. Although my mom still insists on calling her Judy, which makes her blood pressure go up 20 points. Anyway, any place by the beach here might have overfished local mahi-mahi, a.k.a. a dolphin fish, which is so weird and wrong to call it. Or maybe some marlin or some swordfish or some Florida snapper, but it'll be $35 and overcooked and may not include the salad or the veg or the baked potato. And most of it is so overfished. And a lot of it comes in from Asia, caught by the Chinese, and you know how ethical they are about their food sourcing and origination. Enough said. Now, as usual, I was the unfortunate voice of reason in the family. It's always me, Debbie Downer. So we 86'd the idyllic dream idea of just a fresh slab of wild marlin, lightly grilled and served with local corn and tomatoes and key lime pie from actual key limes and not green dye. I'm sure that stuff also exists somewhere else in Florida, but not where middle-class Jews from Long Island go to retire. So we went to the Japanese buffet, which was also loaded with farm salmon and the last few tuna left to swim in the oceans and fake crab and deep fried everything. But it also had huge platters of two kinds of seaweed salad and mackerel sushi and yellowtail sashimi and sauteed spinach and some good pork gyoza all for $18.95 a person, which mom thought was steep, but my sister and I thought was a bargain considering we're from the north and we know how much mackerel and seaweed costs and based on how much mackerel and seaweed we ate. And then I cooked at home again the last night after my mom suggested that we go to Red Lobster and I almost had an aneurysm in the car. But I want to talk about fish. 
And I want to talk about those infernal nutritionists who scream at us every day to eat more fish, more fish, eat fish, especially oily fish like tuna and salmon. And how about Americans basically only eating four fish species now? Tuna, salmon, cod, and bass. That's all we really eat now. Oh, yeah, and farm tilapia. And what's that doing to our oceans? And I want to talk about Paul Greenberg's book called Four Fish, which explores all of that. And Bun Lai, a fellow chef and friend who has a restaurant up in New Haven, Connecticut, that only serves sustainable fish and invasive species. I want to talk about all of that because being in Florida made me think about all of that. But before I talk about that, I want to talk about the soap. What soap? Yeah, the soap in my mother's guest bathroom. The guest soap. The container of little assorted shapes and sizes of guest soap, some shaped like starfish and some shaped like seahorses and some shaped like roses and some shaped like fruit. The soap that's 45 years old. Old soap. This has nothing to do with fish, except that some of them had a marine theme. But that soap has been sitting in that bathroom and before that in the bathroom in our home on Long Island for 45 years. I don't think any guest is ever coming to use that soap. I just want to say soap should not be dusty. Okay? I don't think Joan Rivers would have 45-year-old guest soap in her bathroom. That's all I'm going to say. Okay? Anyway, back to the fish. So I want to talk about all of those things. Bun Lai's restaurant called Mia Sushi up in Connecticut and Paul Greenberg's book. But I think maybe I have to have them on and do a show just about that. Maybe I'll have some guests this fall. It's a good idea. Shake things up around here a little bit. Because as usual, I talk too much about everything else and not about fish in that sense. But that's okay because I've talked about fish before, although not for a long time. I think I'll have to do another fish show soon about how nutritionists screaming at us to eat more oily fish in simplistic terms like that, but not discussing the problems associated with those fish is irresponsible and dangerous. And how farmed salmon is polluting the water and messing with the salmon gene pool and feeding grain and soy and fish meal to create farmed salmon is an environmental disaster. And telling us to eat tuna when most tuna is overfished and borderline extinct and full of enough mercury to give you brain damage is tantamount to what I consider malpractice. And that farm fish is fish foodiness fish, especially all that horrible farm tilapia and salmon and shrimp. And that I haven't had a single soft-shell crab all summer, and I think it's too late. The season's ending, and that makes me sad. But I do eat a lot of herring, and that makes me happy. And that I never, ever want to go to Florida again. But I will, at least as long as Mom lives in Platina with all the aged scholars and curators and tribes. All of that. But I'm just about out of time. Not quite, but we're going to take another short break. And when I come back, we'll finish up about that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network. If you like this show, I mean, you're listening, so I guess you like it. Uh, remember that you can find me 
on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. That's my Twitter handle. You can also follow the show on Facebook. You can also check out my website, which is letsgetrealshow.com. And you can also read my blog on Huffington Post. Yes, the Huffington Post. Have you heard of it? Yeah, just a little internet-based thing. My mom doesn't read it because she can't remember how to use the internet sometimes. I don't know. Anyway, we're talking about fish today. And what I do have time to say... I guess I'm not really running out of time. I thought I was. I have a few more minutes. But what I do want to say, which I have said before in more ways than I can count, but it's always good to get this message across, is that if you do want to eat fish, think oily and small. Oily and small, like several old boyfriends of mine. Oily and small. Think oily fish. Think small. Anchovies, sardines, the occasional mackerel when your local Publix has them. The smaller the fish, the less the environmental impact, so to speak, right? I mean, at least that's what they're saying now. I tend to go by what the Monterey Bay Aquarium, seafoodchoices.org, tells me to do. I have the iPhone app. I have the little wallet cards. You should do that, too. I think they're probably right about most stuff. We need to leave the big fish alone. The big fish need a break. They need time to regenerate. Did you know that your average bluefin or yellowfin tuna takes 20 years to reach maturity? 20 years. That's like 100 in people years for fish. 20 years. So we need to leave those guys alone, the larger fish, the big swordfish, those giant halibut from Alaska. They need a break. They've lived this long. So let's let them all retire in peace. Maybe to somewhere like Fish Platina. There's an idea. A gated condo fortress for aged large fish. We can build these places along the coastline in anticipation of rising sea levels. Turn all that seaside over development that's already been built, which will be underwater in a few decades anyway, into luxurious, safe, pescatorial retirement living. Shuffleboard courts and salad included. I think that actually makes a lot of sense. We could start fish sanctuaries for the older, larger fish in the submerged former condo communities. I think I'm going to investigate that. Maybe I can get a grant. Hey, maybe I can do it on Kickstarter. Maybe I could apply for like a MacArthur Genius Grant or a fellowship. Just get that going. Hmm. Well, in the meantime, remember, if you don't want to eat fish, that's foodiness fish, like farm salmon, and you certainly don't want to eat that shit, keep tuning in to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food here on Heritage Radio Network. I won't complain about Florida anymore. I go maybe every five years. So you'll just have to wait for another show about it. But until then, we'll see you next week. Thanks to Jack in the Control Room. Thanks to Ben Kaplan who wrote my theme music. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.